You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. With more than 30 weekly podcasts, HRN has something for every food lover. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by PASA Sustainable Agriculture. Register now for the 2023 conference, featuring more than 90 in-person sessions and 25 virtual sessions on farming and food systems. Learn more at pasafarming.org slash conference. Hello, this is Dana Cowan, and you're listening to Speaking Broadly. I am so excited to be here today, actually not in the studio itself, but in one of my very, very favorite places in the entire universe, which is Blackberry Farm. And I'm with the proprietor of Blackberry Farm, Mary Celeste Bell. Welcome, Mary Celeste. Welcome to you, to Blackberry, <laughs> although you've been here for a few days. So. A couple of days. And then I was here in 2006 with my kids, and it's one of the most memorable vacations we've ever taken. For people who don't know what Blackberry Farm is, um, do you want to give them just a little descriptor? Sure. It's hard to put it in just a little descriptor, but basically Blackberry Farm started as my in-law's house and my late husband, Sam, lived here. That was back in 76, and it is about 4,000 acres in the edge of the Smoky Mountain National Park. We have a really beautiful garden. Farm to table is something we pride ourselves on. And we have sheep, chickens, all kinds of animals. We have an equestrian program, fly fishing. So lots of incredible wine, multiple cellars. It's a place for people to come relax and enjoy getting away from the world in a beautiful natural setting in the Smoky Mountains and enjoy delicious food and wine. It started out as your family's business, and your um, late husband, Sam Bell, was the great visionary of this incarnation of Blackberry Farm. And I had the pleasure of knowing him just the littlest bit, and he was indeed a visionary. And his loss was felt by the entire food community, the hospitality community, and he lives on so palpably at this place. I don't know that I've ever felt someone's spirit so fully infuse buildings and woods and wine as I feel Sam here around us today. Um, you spoke at the Welcome Conference in New York City. It was just one year after his passing. Talk about change, what will change, and what won't change was so powerful because we all come to crossroads of different kinds in our lives. And the question is, what do we hold on to? What do we hold dear? And what do we want to get rid of? And how do we move forward? And I felt like you were confronting that very publicly in this industry that was filled with so much love, but also a lot of people who probably knew Sam better than they knew you and probably had a lot of questions. So I'm curious to ask now, that was, I believe, 2017, and so now here we are, it's five years later, and I'm curious what you think about when you think about what you thought you would change and what you have changed. That is a really good question. Well, I'm constantly just assessing and evaluating, and I think because I'm a mother of five children and Blackberry has continued to grow so much over the past few years that it's it's a constant editing I've gone through kind of different phases over the past few years of every year 
my kids, our life changes, our life evolves because I have these kids that are growing up. And so I'm faced with, okay, what's it like to have a boy that's a college freshman? What's it like to have a senior daughter again? And life is constantly evolving for me. And I think that continuing to keep the things that were important to Sam and me constant, like having people around our table. And I may not be the one stirring the pot and cooking the risotto every night, but I know that that time at the table is so critical. And sometimes that may mean that we're picking up pizza, but we're sitting down together and we're talking about our day and we're talking about our week and having that time. And so I've kind of had to give myself some grace. You mentioned that it was clear to you within days, really, of Sam's passing that you would go on here. There wasn't really much of a choice. And I've read, and I don't know if it's true, that your father-in-law came to you quite quickly and said, it's your turn, Mary Celeste, you're going to take this on. And is that accurate? And what was that like to have, you know, the patriarch anoint you and say, like, it's yours, take it? You know, it's wild because anyone who's been through a serious trauma knows that you just are in this fog. I mean, when we were walking into Sam's service, I told my minister, I said, hey, if you see me walking up to the podium, then I am going to say something. But if you don't see me, then (laughs) just keep going. And so I got up and I just felt like I needed to deliver a message to our community near and far. I mean, friends had come from California, Colorado, New York. I mean, it was overwhelming to me, the support. But I wanted to tell my kids, especially, we are going to be okay because of all these people. And so I ended up getting up and I spoke for, I don't know, a few minutes. And then when I was, when we were walking out of the church, my father-in-law was like, he said something, I wish I could remember exactly what he said, but he basically said like, we need to talk later. You can do this or you're ready or something like that. And I was like, I don't know what he's talking about. Like, you know, (laughs) and so I don't even remember if it was a day later, three days, five days, next week, whatever. But he and my mother-in-law, because Blackberry Farm is so much her baby. And so the fact that both of them wanted me to step into the role of proprietor was just something that really was such a testimony to how much they believed in me. And that's one thing that I keep saying now to myself and want my kids to hear and anyone that really having people believe in you is just so enormous and so powerful. And and then also just believing in yourself. And I think because they believed in me and because I knew Blackberry, I didn't know it maybe in all the ways Sam did for sure, but I did know it and I loved it. We chose to settle here and make Blackberry our life. And I feel very fortunate that I get to live on the life that Sam and I dreamed about together. You know, people get put on a pedestal, I think, sometimes when they pass away. And certainly there are things that people may think that we have Sam on this pedestal. And in a way we do, but at the same time, we all can laugh about things that he wasn't great at or that he didn't do well or, but 
you know, I think more than anything, it's important to celebrate him for his own children too. I mean, my youngest was three when he passed away and now she's nine. And I want her to have some connection, even if it's just from hearing stories. So your father-in-law said, let's have this conversation. And I understand that they believed in you and they had every reason to, but you're also grieving. And um, was there a, a fight inside you? It almost sounds like there wasn't. Like, can I do it? How can I fill his shoes? Well, Sandy, my father-in-law, he is very intentional and he puts a lot of thought into things. And so he had already in his head kind of figured out like how it could work. And so when we he sat down, he was like, look, I know you've got to raise the kids, but this can work. You know, you can get help in this way and this way. And, and then also what was huge, I mean, literally the reason why I said, yes, I can do this, two things. One is because I wanted to. Blackberry was so important to Sam. And he had said, you know, I really want our kids to carry on Blackberry. And I thought, well then I need to help bridge the gap until it's the right time for one of them or them. But also we have, we had a veteran team that had been here for five, 10, 15, some of them almost 20 years at that point. And they knew me and they knew Sam and they knew the goals and our vision. And, and so I thought, you know, I can, I can be a cheerleader in a different way. I'm not going to try to be Sam. I mean, I knew, skills I just didn't have that he had clearly. But I kind of came around to this whole idea of I'm going to do this in a way that I can contribute that is different from Sam. Sam did not love retail. He didn't necessarily love marketing. He, you know, he had really gotten our food and beverage program to an incredible stage. So I didn't need to be micromanaging that. I And he liked interior design, but he wasn't really involved in it. And so I was like, okay, these are areas that he hasn't been, you know, nurturing as much so I can give them attention. And and the last thing I'll say about that is that it also, interestingly, it kind of created this new opportunity for other people to really kind of share their voice in a new way. Um, Sam, was, Sam was very humble and he really tried to be such a good listener. And I think he was really good at listening to the team. But I think also he had all these great ideas. And I think a lot of times, you know, maybe he dominated a little, not in a domineering way, because that wasn't his personality. But so it was nice to see people kind of step up and, you know, take on more responsibility and really share their thoughts in a different way because it was a new dynamic. You've spoken a bit in the past about grief and how we don't talk about grief really enough. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, what your experience was, the the way that grief has changed you or affected you. Well, I just know that we're all going to die. We're all going to experience loss, whether it's an animal, a loved one, a parent, a child. I mean, God forbid, hopefully not children. I mean, I just think that's a whole different world of grief. I can't even imagine. But it's just part of the process, a life cycle. And I feel like we don't talk about it. And when 
Sam passed away, I had hardly ever posted one thing on Facebook, but I wrote this letter. It might be the first and last thing that I've ever posted on Facebook, <laughs> but I wrote it to our community, our, our school community, basically saying, I have four children at Web School in Knoxville, and I don't know how to do this. Y'all don't know how to do We don't know how to do this. Growing up, I didn't have a friend who lost a parent, and I didn't have any friends in 2016 that had lost a spouse or a child. You know, anyway, and so I just said, you know what? We don't know what to do, so we're just going to do it. You know, I, I wrote. I said, I'm going to come to the basketball game or the soccer game or whatever, and I might have my Kleenex with me, but we're just going to charge on. And I think that really was my philosophy is I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm just going to do it because I don't want to be not living. I mean, I think the worst thing we could have done is pack up, move to my hometown where I haven't lived since I was 18. But, you know, run away from BlackBerry, not do what we had set our life out to do. And um, grief doesn't have a begin and an end and especially, I think, as a parent, you are constantly evolving in your role of responsibilities and new phases of parenting. And so it really is new all the time. And you can kind of figure something out, and then there's a new thing. And, you know, when Sam passed away, I kind of thought, like, oh, my goodness, who's going to walk my kids down the aisle? Which is funny because I'm not. I don't really worry about things like that. And I was like, you can't worry about that. You don't even know your kids are going to walk down the aisle. I mean, they might not get married. Why worry about something you don't even know that's going to happen? And and so I did tell myself, and this has been very helpful, is that the right people are going to weave in at the right time. And I really have seen that. Some people have come in strong for a phase and then kind of, woven out a little bit, not intentionally, but just by the age of my children or what activity my child was into or what I was going through. And I just, I think there are no rules to grieving. You just got to go with your gut and be open. And I will say, I wasn't sure I was going to say this, but today's actually my 25th anniversary. And so it, you know, it's, Big days, like days like this or the day that Sam died or his birthday, you know, people know and they're like, oh, I know you miss Sam so much. And close friends of mine who've lost their spouses or lost someone, you don't ever not think about them. I mean, you might go through certain stretches of, you know, not thinking about them as much, but like, I don't need to be reminded that I miss Sam. Anyway, it's just, you know, it's a process. And I think that we all have to understand that really, truly, everyone is probably dealing with something. And for some people, it could be cancer or it could be, you know, that their father is abroad in the army. And so it's hard for them to see another dad show up to the basketball game. You know, you just never know. Um, So I try to be really empathetic and open-minded and think about what is this other person dealing with that I have no idea about.
cultivate farms and food systems that nourish, heal, and empower. Register now for PASA Sustainable Agriculture's 2023 conference. Access more than 100 sessions on topics including environmental conservation, food justice, sustainable food and textile production, renewable energy, and much more. Featuring a not-to-be-missed lineup of speakers, including indigenous environmental scientist and author of Fresh Banana Leaves, Jessica Hernandez, Scottish farmer and co-producer of the podcast Landed, Cole Gordon, best-selling author of The Art of Fermentation, Sandor Katz, co-owners of Heritage Seed Company True Love Seeds, Owen Taylor and Chris Bolden Newsom, and many more. There are two ways to attend, virtually or in person. PASA's virtual conference takes place January 17th through 19th. Join from anywhere. PASA's in-person conference is in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on February 8th through 11th and includes social and networking events plus an expansive trade show. Register now at pasafarming.org conference. That's P-A-S-A farming.org conference. You mentioned that you'd become over time, not inexplicably, a magnet for people who ha- are going through really emotionally heavy times. Is that something that you find challenging? What do you think they want from you? And what are you able to give in that? That is interesting because I've been trying to figure out how to manage that, but I want to be helpful. I will say I found out around 5.30 p.m. that Sam had died by phone because he was in Colorado snow skiing. And I was in Tennessee. The next morning, his aunt, who I'm very close to, called my sister and said, I know this seems weird, but I think Mary Celeste should talk to my friend Emily, whose husband died in a plane crash a few years ago. And I had not spoken to so many of my family friends. And here I was, I said, okay, if she thinks it's helpful, I'll do it. And literally Emily was so helpful as someone who had been through losing their spouse to in an accident, has small children. And she gave me just some really great advice. And so I've really tried to say, how can I help people? I mean, it's that whole concept of paying it forward. And so I really do I actually enjoy cheering people on and checking on them. And for a while, I had a text thread with a few women who I knew had lost their husbands. And, you know, just random days, I'll text people and say, hey, I'm checking on you. How are you? And But at the same time, I found that recent in the past year, I've lost a few friends to cancer. And both of them, it rocked me so much because it was just... It was like going backwards to Sam dying. And so so I have to kind of pick and choose. I have another friend, dear friend, whose husband sadly just passed away um, of a heart attack. And I haven't reached out to her yet, but I know when the time is right, it will be fine. I just haven't had the capacity yet. And she's been in the throes of planning and celebrating his life and things like that. But... The point is, is that I also have recognized that there is no timeline and the immediate support is so important just to help people literally get through the hours and the days of like major fog. But 
reaching out to someone six months, nine months, two years later is still meaningful because there's still grief there. They're still figuring it out. And so I would just encourage people not to feel guilty like, oh, I haven't done anything and it's been a month or I haven't been to see them. You know what? The time is going to work out when you can actually show up is probably going to be a perfect time for that person. And, you know, I think just being persistent, people can definitely hide behind text, which I can be guilty of, but I do think calling someone and just getting them to talk. I think that um, so many things that you said resonate with me. One of them is people get so embarrassed, right? They didn't they didn't call within a time period that they find acceptable, but because everyone's going through their own thing and there is a fog, anytime you turn up, someone's happy to meet you at that point. And I think, in fact, the reverse is equally true that so many people come with the flowers and the casseroles, you know, in the immediate aftermath, but it doesn't end. And then people stop that persistent making sure you're okay. Because you seem, not you as an individual, but like one seems okay. But the truth is one always wants to feel the community around. So I always try to keep that in my own mind that it's staying through the long haul. I was wondering if you you were going to say that you also found that it was important to protect yourself a little bit. One is very emotionally engaged in trying to help someone through a time that's hard, but you're an empath, it seems, so you also feel it. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if that was part of like the, the, the thought that goes through your head, like, do I have time now or do I really need to just mm-hmm. put it aside till I have a little bit more time for someone? I think it just depends what's happening. I do think there's a way to connect with someone and support them without completely taking it on. Mm -hmm. But also, I think that I can be encouraging because my kids are doing great. I am loving life. Of course, I miss Sam dearly, and I would love to have a special person in my life to share life with. But I'm living life, and I'm getting to do amazing things. And, And so I do want to be an ambassador to people to say, like, you can live on, you know, you can figure out, make a list. What were the things that were so important to you and your person that's now not here? And how can you keep those alive? What do you let go of? What do you give yourself a break on for two years? I mean, that's been part of my thing is, you know, I've had to say like, okay, yes, that is important to me. But right now in this phase, by the way, we're in a new chapter as a family. I mean, Sam wasn't alive when we had a eighth grader, a senior. I have to not hold myself too close to some things that we maybe did when we had four children under the age of 10, which is different than, you know, all the directions we're going now. I'm curious because Sam's vision lives, but you are like a smart, extraordinary human every day doing something for this property. And I'm wondering what sort of thoughts go through your head? Do you check with yourself in terms of what would Sam say? Or you're like, you know what? I want to do this. This has been entrusted to me. Like, What's the balance in your mind of this is mine, my family's, both in the in-laws and my kids, and this is what I believe we need to do. 
while we're keeping Sam's dream alive and our core values have not changed, Blackberry has changed really just by the sheer fact that we opened Blackberry Mountain. So we bought the land in 2008 and then we took really like 10 years to say, okay, what can this land be? It had never been developed. It was 5,200 acres and it's very different than the farm. It's very vertical. It's much more of a mountain. And he had been very involved. I mean, he had biked, four-wheelered. There were really no roads. And so we decided, you know, hotel with some home sites and knowing all that was within Sam's vision. And we dreamed about it. We used to take our kids camping over there, take them on adventures. But back to your point, question is we have changed because now we have gone from like 250 to 300 team members at the farm. Now we have over a thousand team members between the two properties. So while we still are hanging our hat on amazing food and wine, great adventure and great service, we simply are a different operation than we were when Sam was here. It's just different. And so I've had to say, okay, let's keep his vision in mind, of course, but we do have to do things differently and we're a bigger operation. But the goal of just creating magical experiences for our guests and connecting our guests with each other, with the land and enjoying the table, that will never go away. What has been the hardest thing about being a mom, you know, with five kids, with Sam as a memory in many of their minds, but not not Lila the, the list? Or just in general? I would think it's rare for anyone that anyone would choose to have five children and be a single parent. You know, I wanted to have a lot of kids with Sam. I didn't say, oh, I want to have five children by myself. Not because I'm not capable, but because it's a partnership. I mean, my kids need his adventurous spirit. They need his crazy, like, forget the schedule. I just picked a basket of chanterelles and I don't care if it's nine at night, I'm cooking, you know, mushroom risotto where I'm like, okay, school departure (laughs) is in eight hours or, you know, anyway, not eight hours. It would have been 10 hours, but anyway. And so I think that it's like anything is as a team, you can do things better. And you have the strengths and the weaknesses that kind of balance each other. And so that, I think, has been the biggest challenge for me is how do I keep alive the things that I know were important to him as a father? And so it's meant making phone calls and calling someone and saying, hey, Sam loves hunting. Can you take him in a few months? Or can we get this on the calendar? And, you know, it's finding the people... And that's one other thing I will say just to anyone who's going through any hard time is when someone reaches out and says like, hey, I'm thinking about you. Let me know if I can do something. Let them know because people want to help and they don't know what to do. And if it's that you're going through a divorce and someone's like, hey, do you want to go on a walk? Say yes to the walk, but also say, do you mind 
taking my child to get ice cream with your child in a few days so I can have one hour to myself. I, I do think we have to kind of ask for what we need, which is as a woman, I don't think we're always good at that. And um, and it seems selfish. So that's the piece of like taking care of myself. And someone told me, I think this was 2017, I went on a retreat with some really close friends and we had a facilitator that was, you know, helping us. And he said, you have to put your cape on first because you're trying to do everything for everyone and you're so concerned about what everyone else is doing and making sure they're fine. But if you're not taking care of yourself, you can't show up for them. And so I've, I've tried that and I do try. I think I'm doing a pretty okay job at it, but it's hard to to not always be thinking of other people first as a mother, especially. Do you find time, like, have you figured out a method, a process, a calendar, a something to give yourself the time? Like, is there actually Mary Celeste time? I, I really have been working on it and I, I really do. I need to work on prioritizing that time because I think that's the other thing for me as a mother and a woman is that we need downtime to literally just be, but then we also, I also want to exercise and clean out a closet and, you know, do things around the house that make me feel good about being organized and things, but it's like, okay, how do I do this all? And you also want to have time just to be spontaneous so I, I'm trying to work on having just bigger chunks where I can say to our team, okay, I'm not going to answer emails about this today. And I've been really trying to work on saying, okay, I'll get back to you on Monday. Although I still feel like I'm really email too often, but that's my fault. I need to kind of back off. But um, it's a process. It is. Um, it- you had talked about the table and getting people around the table, and we had such an amazing meal last night at your house with extraordinary wines and extraordinary food. Are those two things, which indeed Sam cared about a lot, are they at the center of what you care about personally? Like, do you care as much? So I really care about what I put in my body. I love for it to taste great, although I'm not afraid if I have, you know, had some heavy meals or been traveling or something, then my kids kind of make fun of me because I'm not afraid to make the grossest smoothie ever because I'll go to my little smoothie drawer and just put everything in that has some redeeming quality when I feel like I need a reset. But yes, I love food. I love wine. I love beverages, but I also have that fine balance that i totally care what I'm putting in my body, but I also sometimes I'm like, I'm in a hurry and I would rather exercise more or take a nap or read my book. And so I'm going to have two boiled eggs and some like sauteed spinach for lunch. And that's fine. What's ahead for you and for Blackberry in general? Uh, you've already accomplished so much. I mean, just the opening of Blackberry Mountain. Are there other plans on the drawing board? Or are you like, we're good and we're holding. We are always evolving and it is so fun and just keeps my mind spinning all the time of, you know, how can we make things better? 
what can we do next? And I feel, you know, just from a really simple standpoint, hotel rooms, it's like by the time you renovate one section of rooms, you're just constantly renovating rooms, which of course you don't want to do all the time because of disruption to your guests. But so we're always evaluating and, you know, we're turning 50 in 2026, which cracks me up to even say 2026. But so to answer your question, the farm, we are really evaluating what can we do to just be the best in all the things we're already doing. You know, the farm's over 40 years old. How can we just continue to have the best food, the best service, the best wine? What do we need to do on our wellness programming? How can we enhance our hiking trails? You know, we're doing some things in our woods right now, which is a process because you're working with plants. But over the years, this whole area had just grown up. These teeny little pine trees had just become this pine forest, which had changed the landscape of part of our hiking system. And so we're like, okay, we cleared that so that we can help the hardwoods grow and get some ferns back in and like kind of take it back to what it was. It's little things like that. And it's also focusing on our team. Like I said earlier, we have a much bigger team now than we used to. And the hospitality industry is evolving. And so it's really continuing to focus on how can we have the best team and take great care of them. At the mountain, it is almost hilarious to me that we opened in 2019, February 2019. So we just celebrated three years. We have already added a restaurant, renovated a restaurant. We've added more cottages. And so it just has been evolving and it's been so well received by our guests that we needed more dining space. And so And it's great to have these younger leaders at BlackBerry who maybe didn't have much of a voice, you know, six years ago or five years ago that now we're turning to them and saying, okay, what do you think about this? And it'll be fun to see what's next for everybody. So at the end of the podcast, I always ask my guest if there's someone that she'd like to give a shout out to, someone who you think that more people need to know about. And I'm wondering who you'd like to give a shout out to. I would love to give a shout out to Jen Pelka. I think what she's doing with Unfem Wines is so fantastic. I love that she's celebrating females in the wine industry. And we all love some bubbles. And Sam loved sharing champagne with people, not on a special occasion. I mean, he was really... Like, why do you just save it for your anniversary? He was like, there's always something to celebrate. And so I love thinking about her and her focus on really bringing female winemakers to life and giving them a a platform. Jen Pelk is extraordinary and infam. They're growing exponentially. They're now, you can find them in the sky on Delta flights, I believe. The quality is so good. And Jen is indeed such a visionary. I'm so glad you called her out. Well, thank you, Mary Celeste, for spending this time with me. I love getting to talk to you a little bit more. Love being here. And all of you who are listening, I hope you found today as inspiring as I did. This show is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. 
Food Radio, supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.